0: Thanks for tuning in to the Renew Life Church Lubbock podcast today. We hope this message encourages you as you allow God's Word and His presence to change your life. Hey, if you don't know who I am, my name is Brayden. Uh, I'm the senior leader at Renew Life Church, and Keith and his wife Natalie are the campus pastors here in Lubbock. We've got another campus in Midland, and uh, Cody Sykes is the campus pastor there. And so you don't see me every single Sunday, uh, but I definitely am, am involved and. In, uh, every single week I come and it's my turn to, to preach or whatever, I see a ton of faces that I don't know. So uh, I'm not a stranger, I promise. I didn't just show up. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I, and I'd love to get a chance to meet you. That's one of the hardest things about bouncing back and forth between the co- two campuses. Now, uh, I don't get to spend as much time with, with folks and, and recognize folks. So if I've never met you, I encourage you, please come up after the service. I'd love to get a chance to meet you. Uh, you guys got great pastors. You guys got incredible pastors, Keith and Natalie. Uh, they were in uh, Redding this past week at a leader's advance and just getting filled up and challenged and stretched and all the good things there. So uh, very, very thankful them. They, we've been friends with them for a long time, and you guys really have incredible, incredible pastors. But anyway, if you got your Bibles, turn to, to Malachi 3, and if you play fantasy football, you have two minutes before the 12 o'clock games start to get your rosters right. I'm just going to throw that out There. Are you on your fantasy football app right now? Is that why you're laughing so hard? <laughs> he's checking his lineup right now. He's, he's, uh, anyway, um, I vowed not to check my lineup while I'm preaching. So there's, there's my promise to you. But when we, just in case you didn't know this, um, we started this, we actually launched this Lubbock church, this Lubbock campus in, in March of this last year. So it's not even a year old. And when we came here, well, first of all, just being in ministry in general, Uh, and and pastoring churches was not really the plan for me. And um, we planted Midland because I went to a pastor of mine. I was working for another church serving and could have done that, I think, for the rest of my life. At least that's what we thought. And uh, he used to send all the campus pastors the notes that they were supposed to preach. And um, I just felt strongly, i had an encounter with the Lord, the Lord spoke to me about, it's time for you to preach what I tell you to preach. And so I didn't want that to come across the wrong way to my pastor, of course. And so my wife and I, Leanne, we prayed about that for six months just to make sure it was for sure the Lord speaking. And so I went to my pastor and said, hey, this is what I feel. I feel like the Lord has told me to, to, to preach my own messages and just kind of gave him a little insight of what I thought. And uh, within a few, sh- within just, I say a few minutes, a couple, literally less than two hour meeting, uh, he had said, I think it's time for you to plant your own church. And I was like, no, no, I'm like that's not what I asked. <laughs> but um, anyway, it was kind of funny when I got out of the meeting, Leanne, I called Leanne, she goes, oh, how'd the meeting go? Are you going to get to preach your own messages? And I was like, uh-huh, bunch of them, a <laughs> whole bunch of them. And so um, we planted the, the Lubbock church uh, thinking, okay, this is it, this is clearly what the Lord told us to do, we're, we're middling for life now. And uh, so we, we did, we planted that church. And uh, then just a couple years ago, the Lord began to talk to us about planting other churches and uh, moving to Lubbock, I'm actually from this area. I graduated high school just literally not far from here at Trinity Christian High School my senior year. Went there and uh, was born and raised in Post-Texas, the big city, you probably heard of it. And um, yeah, so that when we moved here, it, it, was just, it was just really not a part of our plan. And I had some regrets. I, I wanna tell you a little bit about some of the things that when we moved to Lubbock, I realized that I had not done well in Midland. Uh, because we, you know, we had our whole team in one location and we were all there kind of hands-on, I don't think I felt, at the time, I don't think I felt the need or understood the need to very clearly outline just who we were and what we were going after as a church in in some ways. And so, um, but when we moved to Lubbock, I realized with me not being there at every campus, especially when there's seven campuses, we're gonna have to find a way to reproduce the culture and really clearly define who we are. You know, the scripture says, write the vision down, make it plain so that a runner can run with it. And uh, because of the value we have on not everyone or everyone has a part to play in this ministry. It's not just what's happening here, it's what's happening everywhere, and we believe so highly in the, in the body of Christ. It was just more important than I knew to get on the same, ta- same page as it pertains to mission, vision, values, those sorts of things. And so uh, last, I think it was November, October, November, um, we were doing some interest meetings here in Lubbock and uh, just kind of getting ready, thinking about launching, and uh, the, Lord ha- I- the Lord spoke to me very clearly about our vision, our mission, I'll talk a little bit about values, the values have been kind of under construction for some time, but he, he spoke to me very clearly about the vision of this church, the mission of this church, and I want to read that today, and then I'm going to go into explaining some things about our values that I think will help, and that's actually what we're going to talk about today, is one of our values, uh, our core values. Um, our vision statement's very simple, Renew Life Church exists to see heaven come to earth in every area of life every area of life and I, I mean from your family to your finances how many of you guys could use some heaven in your, your finances um, every area of your life we we don't just see a value for building this church we want to build the kingdom and there's a lot of kingdom that happens outside of this church every single one of you in this room have an assignment in a sphere of influence in the world whether that's just your family if, let's say you're a stay-at-home mom you have a you have a very important role of pouring the kingdom into your children right now. Or maybe you're a teacher and, the, and you're pouring into the education system. You're bringing the kingdom into the education system or whatever it is that you do, we have a high value, uh, high value for that and just understanding we wanna see heaven come to earth in every area of life. We took communion to remind ourselves that heaven's supposed to be in our physical body. I'm not supposed to be walking in sickness and disease and brokenness and lack. Uh, and so that's, that's our vision statement, fairly simple, uh, simple but powerful. Our mission statement is, is this. Renew Life Church is on a mission to see the lost saved. I think it's very important that as a church and as believers, we don't just kind of fly past the lost saved. It's real easy to fly past that. I still, we were in our pre-service meeting before service, and I was just reminding everyone, this may be your 8,000th church service and the 8,000th time you've encountered the presence of God, but for somebody today, it'll be their first. They don't have 8,000 stories to tell. They don't have any, but when they leave here today, they might have one. And so it's very important for us to stay focused on that first and foremost, that we want to give people that, that opportunity. Uh, we're on a mission to see the lost saved. Number two, the lost or, or the saved living spirit-filled, led, and empowered lives, living free, spirit, soul, and body, living unified in spiritual family, and living on a mission, advancing God's. Kingdom. I think Natalie preached a message last week called Do Something, and that's what, we're, that's what she's alluding to. We have something we're, we're called to do, and, and it's important. It's significant. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some core values real quick. And just so you know this ahead of time, we have 11 core values, and number 11 is to be determined. Uh, here's why I say that. I am 39 years old. I know I don't look it. Um, tough crowd. Tough um, <laughs> I'm 39 years old, I'll be 40 in a few weeks. And um, in in my short life, one of the things that I've learned is that as I've continued to welcome new people into my life, they'll often have a value that's a kingdom value that I didn't even know I was supposed to have. And they'll carry that value so rich, so pure, so true that I'll realize, oh my goodness, I have not valued this the way that I should have valued this. I, a big life change for me was uh, when we started hearing about Bethel Church in Redding, California. Um, we do things, uh, we do a lot of things very different than they do things, but they very quickly became family to me because I realized that they carried a value for things that I just didn't have, but was very kingdom. Uh, their value for the, the prophetic, their value for the power of God and seeing God move. There was just, the presence of God, a value for the presence of God above all else. There were things in my, in my life that I, there were values that I've picked up along the way. So the reason we have 10 values, and we'll, we'll read those in a minute, the 11th value might be the most important because the 11th value says a lot about who we are in that we're never done learning. You know, the spirit of religion starts when the spirit of learning stops. <laughs> So the second that we start saying, you know what? We did it. We ironed it all out. We know exactly what we're supposed to do, who we're supposed to be. That's a very dangerous place to be, Uh, especially as it pertains to people. I think that's one of the things I've learned and I carry the highest value for is just actually people and what they carry. I love listening to people. I love listening to what they say, how they encounter God, how they feel about God, how they see God, because the scripture says we all know in part and prophesy in part. So there's a part of God in you that I need. There's a part of God in every single person in this room, and if I don't have a value for people, I equally don't have the same value for God. I just have a value for the God I know and the God I see. And there's so much more of God out there. And so as it pertains to these values, we are, I felt it is important that we kind of keep it open-ended uh, to see how the Lord would lead us in the future. But thus far, let me tell you what our values are thus far. Number one, we have a value for the presence of God. Uh, it's kind of like Moses. When, when the Lord was giving Moses some marching orders, Moses said, hey, if you're not coming, we're not going. If the presence of God's not with us, if we don't have your presence, we're, we're not doing this. I, I've been in churches, church services where I knew the presence of God was there and could tangibly feel the presence of God. I've been in other church services where I'm pretty sure he's never been to that church. Um, and I like the former better. I, I want to know that he's there. I want to feel his presence there. I want to have his manifest presence in my life throughout my entire week. There's not an on-off switch when I come to church as it pertains to the presence of God. I'm in constant pursuit of knowing you're with me. If he's with with us, he's for us. And so we have a high value for the presence of God. Number two, the word of God. Uh, Number three, the family of God. Number four, the power of God. Love that one. If God's not doing something powerful, uh, it's not a lot of fun. And I, I had a conversation, of course, I can go on down. Number five, faith. Number six, prayer. Number seven, prophecy, uh, talking about the power of God and even prophecy, I was talking to a friend of mine um, who has some, some Baptist roots, and he, uh, we were in an a a important conversation, I thought, he said, you know, uh, the thing that scares me about prophetic cultures is that as it pertains to prophecy, there needs to be, there needs to be accountability, you shouldn't just be able to go give prophetic words and not ever be accountable for any of the prophetic words. And I said, you know, I, I, I agree that that's. And he said, I think it's dangerous when you don't have that. And I said, I agree with you. I think prophecy without accountability can be dangerous. Let me tell you what's more dangerous: is no prophecy. <laughs> no prophecy scares me more than bad prophecy. Because here's what bad prophecy s- tells me: someone's trying, someone's reading their Bible and they're trying. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 12, of all the spiritual gifts, and all the things that the Holy Spirit's doing, we should desire prophecy the most. So if I see no prophecy, I equally hear I don't desire the Holy Spirit. So guess what? When you embrace prophetic culture, you might as well get ready. Where there are no oxen, the stable is clean. You know that scripture? It means no poop. You don't have animals, you don't have poop. You don't have to clean the poop. But you ain't getting no work done either. In the same way, there's gonna be some messes made when you embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, because guess what, we're all learning. We're all learning, and this stuff is, it's fun, it's powerful, it's it's amazing. There's gonna be some messes. I'd rather have some mess, you've heard it said, I'd rather have a little wildfire than no fire at all. That's us. We want that, we believe in that. So if you, you we're looking for a perfect church, um, it's not this one. but we are a pursuing church. And, I, and that's, a, that's a high value of us. Let me go on. I'm rambling now. Uh, number eight, worship. Number nine, generosity. We're going to talk about that today. And number 10, excellence. And as I said earlier, 11 to be determined. Uh, I want to talk to you today about number nine. I actually haven't talked about this here. It's been two and a half years since I talked about generosity in our Midland campus. And so I want to talk to you about generosity, why generosity is significant for us. Um, I, the definition of generosity, I don't always like Webster's, the new Webster's Dictionary for, de, for Definitions, but this one I really, really liked. The definition of, of generosity in the Webster's was the act of liberal giving. The act of liberal giving, and then I love this. It said just in all caps, open-handed. Open-handed. I wanna talk to you a little bit about today, a little bit today about how to live, live open-handed. Um, unfortunately, you can't talk about I shouldn't say unfortunately, fortunately maybe. You can't talk about generosity and liberal giving without talking about tithing. You can't talk about giving without ta- and, and, and liberal giving and generosity without talking about tithing. And I wanna read a scripture and I think it'll bring a lot of things to light and why I said you can't even talk about generosity without talking about tithing. Malachi chapter three, starting in verse eight says this. It says, will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. Even this whole nation. Now verse 10, first word is very significant. Bring. Say that with me. Say bring. Many other uh, scriptures in, in the Bible, when it talks about tithing, it'll use the word bring, or another word that you'll see is return. Bring and return. Those are very important words. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. So what is he saying is the purpose for this tithe or the location that this tithe is in? in his house. He, he has a high value for the church. He says, And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of, windows of heaven and pour out for you such a bless, blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. So we can't say that we're a, we're a church that wants to see heaven come to earth as our vision. We, we wanna see heaven come to earth. Now, a lot of people, they'll hear that. And you have, if you've heard that phrase a lot, you, you, might, you might go directly to something like, in an open heaven, there's the presence of God. In the open heaven, there's the, there's the healing power. There's the power. There's lots of things. But here's what I just read, that if you tithe, the heavens open up. So you can't say my vision is to see open heavens and then actually have a way to open the heavens and not talk about it. There's a reward when the heavens are open and the heavens are opened for tithers, so that there's not room enough to receive it. Let me just say this, and I'm just going to go ahead and get this out on Front Street. What I'm about to say is about level 10 hot sauce for some of you. This is, this is going to be a little hot, but this, everything's going to be all right. We're talking about money. We're talking about tithing. We're talking about genera- generosity, but you're going to be okay. Turn to your neighbor and say, calm down. It's going to be just fine. It's, it's going to be just fine. It's in the Bible, I promise. Um, As it pertains to the tithe, we're going to come right out of the gate swinging. As it pertains to the tithe, I want you to understand that according to Scripture, there are only two things that you can do with tithe. Only two. You have two choices. One, you can bring it. We read that right there. You can bring it or you can return it. Your other option is to steal it. Bring it or steal it. Now, Here's what I know. It is impossible for me to steal something I own. If you agree with that, just, you, you agree with that? You cannot steal, you, you cannot steal something you own. You, you, you can only steal something that was never yours in the first place. Like for instance, if Dan came to me and said, hey, I'm going out, need to cut some firewood, can I borrow your chainsaw? I get, when I give Dan my chainsaw, after that he has two options. He can return my chainsaw when he's done or he can steal it, and any guys with have ever had tools and loaned them out, you know what he's probably going to do. Uh, he, <laughs> you usually don't get your tools back, but you, you can. He can do one of two things with what my chainsaw. He can either steal my chainsaw or he can return my chainsaw. Here's what that says to me: If according to the tithe, according to scripture as it pertains to the tithe, if I can only either steal it or return it, then it never belonged to me in the first place. It never belonged to me. This is a very important principle to understand. 10% of everything you have is actually not even yours. You don't have it, you're stewarding it. (laughs) You you have somebody else's chainsaw. And you'll see later on, I'm I'm starting to get almost got ahead of myself there. You'll see later on why that's so important. As it pertains to the tithe, just understand, you have two options. You can steal it or you can return it. Why this is important is, notice tithing is not one of our core values. Generosity is. It's the liberal giving. It's liberal giving. Well, guess what? I cannot, Dan didn't have a right to give my chainsaw to somebody else. Like, just a quick question, a little participation will probably help me. Anybody have a new car? Like, you know, it's next, in the last week or last month, you've bought a new car. Did you get a new car? You have the keys on it? You have keys to it? You, can I have that, please? <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for trusting me so much with your your car. Um, This is yours. Anybody want a new car? Anybody? You know, Roger, you look like you could use a new car. How generous am I? Isn't that generous? I just. I don't know if y'all know this or not, but I just, I just gave Roger a car. No, I didn't. Why? That was not my car to begin with. I cannot even be a giver until I get out of my hands the things that don't belong to me in the first place. So if I'm saying, hey, I want, us to be, I want us to be a generous church, I want us to be liberal in giving, then what I have to also teach is, as a church, one, know where some of the things that are in my hand came from and belong to Did you know that in Romans 12, I talk about this a lot. It's one of my favorite things to talk about, the redemptive gifts. In Romans chapter 12, there's seven gifts outlined there. There's seven natures of God that he put inside each and every one of us to redeem the world back to what God had intended in the first place. Did you know one of those seven redemptive gifts is a redemptive gift giver? It's actually called that. Why? Because God is a giver. But did you know, if, think about it this way, let's say that is your redemptive gift, you're called to be a redemptive gift giver, did you know you cannot even fulfill the call of God on your life if you're not a tither? Because you cannot give until you are a tither. There are, there are some of you in here, it's, it's in your nature. In fact, you, uh, spiritual gift givers, uh, if you're in here, I just want to just, maybe this is you, this might help you. Spiritual gift givers, they, they love to give to projects. They don't just give, they're, they're not frivolous with their money, and because they're not frivolous with their money, they usually have a lot of it. And because they're called to be givers, and God is generous by nature, if you're called to give on a God level and represent God in your giving, then you usually have a lot of money too. So there's a grace on your life to make money. And you often want to know in certain situations, you say, hey, I see a need there, but I'm not just going to blindly give to that need. I wanna, I'm going to have a few questions about some things. How is this going to be handled? Who's stewarding this? You'll have a lot of questions as it pertains to giving. If, that, if I'm kind of semi-describing you, I might have just told you you're a redemptive gift. You might be a redemptive gift giver. but Because you're that way, did you know that a lot of redemptive gift givers, because they want to give out of their joy, they have a hard time giving out of obedience. The one thing that will get you into your calling is getting rid of the thing that wasn't yours in the first place, 10%, and it therefore activates the thing that you were born to do, which is gift, not return, it's not a spiritual gift returner. No such thing, why? Because every single one of us in this room are supposed to be returners, are supposed to be bringers, are supposed to be tithers. Uh, one of the biggest arguments, uh, as it pertains to the tithe, is that that's its Old Testament. Uh, it's not not only is it Old Testament, it's Old Covenant. And so I just I want to read a couple of scriptures that might help bring some understanding of that as well. Uh, if you, let's look at Matthew chapter twenty-three. And how many guys, by a show of hands, believe that Matthew is in the New Testament? Just making sure we're on the same page. Um, and if you've got one of them really good, nice red-letter Bible, anybody got a red-letter Bible? You'll notice in Matthew chapter 23, they're in red. You know what that is? That's Jesus said it. So not only is it in the New Testament, we're talking about the big dog himself said it. So we, we have found ourselves a really good scripture in the New Testament. Matthew 23 verse 23 says this, says, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. And I think it's important to just point this out. What is a tithe? A tithe means tenth." Tithe is 10% of your income, 10% of your your increase. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected, this is important, the more important matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then we're going to dust up a little bit on our English here to get this next part. He said, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guys, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Uh, what is he saying here? He, he's, he's contrasting two things. He's contrasting p- the, these, these Pharisees, what he called hypocrites. He's, he's, he's contrasting the fact that they're willing to tithe on even the smallest amount of their, of their stuff. Yet they're neglecting what he calls more important, more significant things like justice mercy, and faithfulness. You need to hear me say this as your pastor. Tithing is not the most important thing in your life. You need to hear me say that. It's not the most important thing in your life. In fact, if I wanted to sit here and manipulate and control and try to use fear to motivate you to tithe, I could come at you pretty hard and be like, look, I'm just going to tell you right now, until you, it's, it's impossible for God to bless you. It's impossible for him to do anything in your life until you tithe. And I could even twist the Scriptures like the devil does and say, yep, go back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they didn't set apart the one thing. What happened? Death. <laughs> Although there's a the principle there about keeping the set apart the set apart. I'm more, I'm more inspired to inspire you to give by faith rather than out of fear. Because anything that's not of faith is sin. So if I, don't get you to, if I don't at least attempt to try to get you to tithe by faith, I'm literally walking you into sin by saying, no, I want you to give, but I only want you to do it for the wrong motivation just because you did not want to check your box or whatever. No, I want you to give. I want you to give in faith. But you need to know, it's not the most important thing. The Bible says right here there are other important things. However, what did he say? He said you should have practiced the, the latter, which was what? M- mercy, justice, mercy, and faithfulness but then he throws it in there without neglecting the former, which was what? Tithing. Yeah, it's not the most important thing, but it is a thing. It may not be the most important thing, but it's an important thing. It's very, very important. Let me read to you out of Malachi chapter seven, because so you say, some might say, well, that was the law. Well, I, I showed you in scripture. in in here where it's in the New Testament, Jesus saying you should tithe. And I think I should just ask another question. And and just remember this. What God is testing here is not your bank account. He's not testing that. He's testing your heart. So this is a hard issue any way you slice it. But I think something you should ask yourself is if if it's so not what we're supposed to be doing now, why is there not a single scripture in all of the Bible that says you should not tithe? I mean, a lot of things passed away after the, in the new covenant. I mean, he, how many you guys are glad he went ahead and made it very clear, we don't have to sacrifice bulls and goats anymore? He made that one clear. It's like, thank goodness, we don't gotta do that anymore. Why? Because there was a lamb that was sacrificed. His name was Jesus. We don't, we don't have to do that anymore. So he, he differentiates. Hey, under the old covenant, it was this, don't do that anymore. Under the new covenant, it's this way. If tithing was an old covenant thing, then why didn't he say in the new covenant, New Testament somewhere, hey, tithing is a thing of the past. You don't have to do that anymore. The only thing Jesus is recorded in saying in Scripture in the New Testament is you should still do this. You should not neglect this. But I, I think more, maybe more importantly, I wanna show you that not, is it, not only is it not passed away with the law, tithing, was before the law. Hebrews chapter 7 says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, then also the king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither spiritual beginning nor end of days, but made like the son of God, remains a priest continually. There's a lot going on right here in these few scriptures. And I, I want to unpack this just a little bit. So if you, this, Hebrews chapter 7 is actually talking about a story that we first see in the book of Genesis. Abraham's nephew Lot uh, gets captured by these, ki- this, these kings that are out just taking over the world. And they take over Lot. So Abraham goes to recover Lot. Now, mind you, these kings have been kicking butt everywhere they go. So they're not losing any battles. So they're, su- they're kind of good at what they're doing. Abraham, blessed by the Lord, is able to go and win. He wins this battle. He takes everything that they have. And in the scripture, but in Genesis, when it tells this story, it says that Abraham is coming back and Melchizedek met him in the valley of the kings. If you're a Bible study geek nerd, you study that out, the valley of the kings. That's, there's some significance there. But he says Melchizedek shows up in Abraham's life in the valley of the king and it The thing that he tells them there in Genesis is very significant. One of the first things he says, Hebrews actually repeats it. He says, blessed are you, Abraham. Blessed are you, Abraham. It doesn't say it here, but it says it in Genesis. He says, for it is the Lord your God who has delivered your enemies into your hands. You're blessed. Great job. You're awesome. You're incredible. Your God has delivered your enemies into your hands. A couple things you gotta understand here. Abraham was the first person in the Bible. First of all, he's the patriarch of our faith, the father of the faith, so to speak. The reason he's the patriarch is because he was the first person that God chose to have a relationship with after Adam and Eve, after the fall of man. It was the first one God said, I'm going to have a relationship with you, not because of your works, but because of your faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and God counted it unto him as righteousness. So what made Abraham righteous? His works or his faith? His faith. Every single one of us in this room, what makes you righteous? Your works or your faith? Faith. God chose Abraham to be a forerunner in the new covenant. So as a forerunner in the new covenant, Adam, or Abraham goes on this journey. He captures all of this stuff. He shows up in the valley of the kings. Melchizedek comes to him and says, Blessed are you, Abraham, for it's God that has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, you, this Melchizedek dude, he is mysterious. Listen to what it says about who this Melchizedek guy is. It says his name for this Melchizedek, king of Salem. What was Jesus, what was Jesus called the king of Jeru. Salem, the new Salem. So he's pointing to something. Priest of the most high God. Who else is the priest of the most high God? Who met Abraham returning from slaughter, yada, 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 verse 3. Who is without father. Well, actually, let's read this part here because this is good. First being translated. So the first translation of his name, Melchizedek, is king of righteousness. Then also of Salem, meaning king of peace. Who's without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, made like the Son of Man and remains a priest continually. Who, Who is he describing right here? Jesus. Melchizedek didn't have a mother and father. He was not no normal dude. Jesus showed up and said, I need, I need, to, I need to talk to somebody. I need to demonstrate some, something. I need to create a type and a shadow of some things to come in the new covenant. So Jesus literally shows up to Abram in the form of Melchizedek. And he says, hey, you are blessed. <laughs> you're blessed for it's God who's, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. First thing you want him to know is say, hey, you don't have a bunch of stuff because you're amazing. You got a bunch of stuff because he's amazing. The first key to tithing and to wanting to tithe and the tithing by faith is the awareness that what you have you didn't earn. You are not blessed because you went to college. You're not blessed because you went to trade school. You're not blessed because you work 80 hours a week. You're not blessed. By, by the way, none of those things are bad. I'm not talking about any of I think you should work hard. All those things are good things. But that is not why you have what you have. You have what you have because he has blessed you. Because long before you had time to get that degree and go to that trade school and work those 80 hours, you should have been a, a puff of smoke in the wind if it would have been on your works and your effort because the wages of sin is, and the Lord said, no, you're not gonna die on my watch. You're not gonna die on my watch. I am where I am by the grace of God. And if you don't get that, first and foremost, you will not tithe for the right reasons. You will not do it for the right reasons. It will do no good in your life. But Abraham, first representative under the new covenant, Jesus himself shows up in the form of Melchizedek, tells him this, and what was the appropriate response from the heart? Because notice what Melchizedek did not do and could not do. He could not slide across the Bible to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, you're so blessed, you should probably read Malachi 3. Some good info right there in Malachi. Just saying. Why? Because there was no scripture, better yet, there was no law. This stuff did not exist. But I'm gonna tell you what it did exist, a heart that understood where all their stuff came from in the first place. And Abraham hears Melchizedek, Jesus in the flesh says, it's God that's delivered your enemies in your hands. I, I would say this to you, if you're in, in, if you're in ministry in any way, shape, or form, if you think you're called to ministry in any way, shape, or form, please hear my heart. Take Jesus's model as it pertains to the tithe. Do not use fear, manipulation, and control to take up a tithe. Just remind people where it came from, and the people that have the right heart will respond the right way. He's giving us an example of even how to take up an offering. Abram, it says, and Abram gave a tenth part. so significant. It didn't just say, Abraham gave him some of his stuff. It's it's so detailed. No, it gave him a number. It, It gave a number, a specific number, long before a number was even out there that he was supposed to follow. Now, Here's why this is significant. Verse four. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. So he's drawing your attention and saying, okay, let me, let me talk about this Melchizedek, that he was so significant that Abraham was willing to give him a tenth. Who is this man? And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have not come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and he blessed him who had the promise. What did he do? He, he didn't just receive the tithes, he blessed him. There's a blessing on your life when you choose to be a tither. Verse seven, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here's where I want to get to. Verse eight, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of who it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Here's what happened. Jesus was setting a, a pattern, creating a pattern. And the first ever person that had a relationship with him by, by faith rather than by works, Abraham, Jesus shows up as Melchizedek and Jesus personally received the tithes. Then he goes on here to explain here on earth, earthly men receive your tithes. Guess what, we, as, a church, as a church body, as a church staff, we, we are going to, we receive tithes. I'm gonna show you how at the end of the service how you can give your tithes. This, it's, it's simple, you already know this drill. Here on earth, earthly men receive tithes. But that is actually not the most significant thing that happens with your tithe. It says there, somebody else is receiving it. When I give my 10% to a man, that's not the most significant thing that's happened. The most significant thing that's happened is in the spirit, when Jesus Himself says thank you. And receives your tithes in the spirit. But some people say, you know, I, one of the reasons I don't tithe is I just I don't know if I trust men with my I don't trust men with my stuff. First of all, if you're going to a church where you don't trust the leadership, move. <laughs> it's not that complicated. Um, that's not I, I mean. It's just not that complicated. I started to expound on that, and I was like, actually, it's not that complicated. Uh, you, you, you shouldn't be in a church and connected to a church where, where you don't trust the leadership. However, even if you don't trust the leadership and, and you say, I just can't find somewhere that I do feel safe, just understand, you're not just stealing from earthly men. You're not just not tithing to earthly men. You're not tithing to him. Not as much about what happens here. And trust me, we have gone overboard trying to make sure that we have some of the most stringent, uh, policies as it pertains to, 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 to the finances, you should know this, at a minimum, according to our bylaws a minimum of 10% of everything that comes into this house goes into other outreaches, ministries. In fact, I don't remember a single year where we've only given 10%, upwards of 17% some years. In the last little over three years, this church alone, that well, here and there, we've given away over a million dollars into other outreaches, missions, and things like that. We, we're not just, we believe this to our core and we do the best that we can to have very strict financial principles when it, as it pertains to my salary. I don't even get a say in my salary. I've got, a, I've got a, an oversight, a compensation committee that sets my salary and anybody that's related to me. And all the other salaries are used by a software program where we plug in the, the, the number of people that come to this church, the amount of money that's given, and what's a fair estimate for that particular job, their job description, everything. We, we, are, we go overboard to try to steward well what God has given us. But again, What's happening in the natural is secondary to what's happening in the spiritual. When I tithe, I'm telling Jesus, I love what you love. It's the tithe, and I don't have time to go into it because I'm already over my time. But if you go to Ephesians chapter five, it's a scripture we read a lot when it comes to weddings and husbands, you know, wives submit your husbands, husbands love your church as Christ loved the church, giving up his life for her. The language there is romantic language so that you'll not just understand how husbands and wives should act, but also so you'll know how Jesus feels about the church. He says it's his wife, and I propose to you that Jesus is such a, good, uh, uh, such a good leader of his home that while he's away, he's making sure his bride is being taken care of, and he's using the tithe. So when we, when we get to heaven, I have, I've had this imagery lately, uh, over the last several months actually, I've had this image of some of the things that I've been doing, and it's like when you, you know, sometimes things just aren't working out, you're frustrated, you feel like you're serving God, but it doesn't seem like it's really working out. I, I've had this imagery where because of the things that I'm willing, some of the parts that I've been willing to lay down in my life to the degree that I have thus far, even in my tithe, I saw myself seeing Jesus face to face and him saying, hey, thanks for taking care of my wife while I was gone. I want that said of me when I see him. I want him to know without a shadow of a doubt. I love what you love. And I'm just gonna tell you this, the more you get to know him, the more you get to see the person of love himself, you'll start to love what he loves. You'll love what he loves and you'll hate what he hates. It's a heart thing. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I will know where your heart really is. More important than me, he will know where your heart really is. Sometimes equally as important, you need to know where your heart really is. And did you know this? You can even direct your heart by direct, redirecting. Let me say it differently. You can redirect your heart by redirecting your finances. You see, you know, I just, I've just never seen a, I've just never seen a, as the value for the local church. I've just never seen the value for that. Start giving. I guarantee you the value will increase. You actually have an opportunity, and I'll just say this too. I want you to give in faith, but did you know obedience is faith? Faith is not, oh, I have the goosebumps. I feel like giving 10% of my money away. Said no one, at least to start. But you know what you needed? You might need a scripture and said, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. And it's like, ah, I don't wanna do that. But more than I don't wanna do that, I wanna please him. Like with my kids. When I'm raising my kids and they're, they're, they're children, they think like a child, they act like a child. I tell them what to do. And I'm telling them what to do to create a structure in their heart so that eventually the thing that they once did by obedience, they do because of belief. Tithing's no different. If you don't believe in it yet, start doing it anyway until the things that he says become natural to you. You want it to be out of the heart. You want it to come from your heart. Sometimes before it comes from the heart. It starts with, Lord, I don't feel like it. Don't like it. Don't even know if I fully understand it. But your word says, your scripture says, I trust you. Thanks again for listening today. If you'd like to join us in person for church, Renew Life meets every Sunday morning at the YWCA at 6501 University Avenue in Lubbock, Texas. For more information on our ministry, check out RenewLifeChurch.com or find us on social media. We hope to see you soon.